we have a lot of leaving, and at the end of the chapter, we have this fantastic confession of faith by the Apostle Peter, uh, which we're going to focus in on today. Uh, Jesus uh, says to him, uh, let's see, where is it? Right in uh, verse 67. See that? This is the theme of today. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And uh, he, they're saying, the verb there is interesting. Do you wish? Do you, are you willing? Do you desire to go away as well? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? We just sang that in a song, if you were aware of it. We just sang that. Where are we going to go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So we're going to look at that beautiful confession of faith from Peter today uh, with this outline, Believe or Leave. I want to read a little bit more extended. We're going to dip into chapter 7 just a little bit, not really uh, very much, and just kind of using it uh, as another example. So let me start at verse 66 and read our text for today. As you can see, it's 666. Sounds like a scary number, but <laughs> I always remember the verses were, numbers were put in way after the Bible's written. So uh, chapter 6, verse 66 after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. After this, Jesus went about Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers, that's the brothers of Jesus, his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And so that whole speech of the brothers is said in the cynicism and um, they don't want what's best for Jesus. They may have even heard that the Jews were seeking to kill him. They may have wanted to just expose him to uh, trouble. Uh, we don't know exactly what's going through their mind, but John does tell us they didn't believe. They were kind of sick and tired of him hanging around Judea, apparently. I mean, around um, Galilee. But the, the time period here is roughly six to seven months because the other events happened around Passover up in Galilee and the Feast of Booths is like six or seven months later. So he's been going around Galilee with very few disciples and his, his brothers, uh, 
with, which we would call them half-brothers. They don't have the same father, but the same mother. They say, get out of here. Go down to this huge feast at Jerusalem and show yourself to the world. Verse 6. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come. But your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Now there's an interesting conundrum, which we're going to open up next week, because he ends up going to the feast, kind of sneaking up, sneaking up there, which, by the way, is south, but they always say up to Jerusalem because not just elevation, it's the place of God. You always ascend to the mountain of God. Even if you live way up north, you go up to Jerusalem. But we're going to get into that uh, later. <laughs> it's a conundrum and it's interesting, but uh, we're, we don't have time for that today. In other words, he says he's not going to go, and he goes. What's the deal with that? Uh, we'll open that up uh, later. Let's pray. Father, in your kindness, please. We've sung a beautiful song, several beautiful songs, but one of them in particular, we said, please open up our hearts to hear what you're saying. I'm, I'm struck by reading this week the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after the the death, burial, and resurrection of you, O Lord Jesus, and they, Jesus, you reprimanded them for being slow of heart, for not believing what you have already told us. Lord, deliver us from our slow hearts, Lord. Uh, help us to hear what you are saying. Through Jesus, we always pray, in his authority only, amen. But this is what I want to do. First of all, I want to focus on this idea of, of leaving. Reasons to leave. Now, please don't leave until I finish this sermon, right? <laughs> I'm not encouraging you to leave, but uh, it is poignant in this text that this large group of people, Jesus has quite a following, and uh, by the end of this roiling conversation, uh, most of them leave. And we should ask ourselves why. And here, here's the thing. I, I want to put it this way. All of us will be, we can relate to some of these reasons. <laughs> and all of us are touched by some of these reasons, if not many of these reasons. And I want to uh, caution all of us this week. I mentioned uh, Jeff King is, is leaving, and he, he led a devotional for our board meeting uh, in first. Peter 5, and it struck me, these are great words, uh, beautiful, beautiful words, but Peter, 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 the guy who said, where are we going to go? <laughs> you have the words of eternal life. He writes much later in his life, he says, and I want to just focus on, this is 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, Peter's not just making up fables here. He's saying the reality is we have a very strong spiritual 
opponent who desires to destroy us. And he's prowling around, seeking, looking for ways to make us leave Jesus. And so we, this is not a light consideration. It's very, very important. So first of all, from the context, and most of these come straight from this context, and some of them are uh, conjecture. But first of all, from this context, it says, verse 60, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Uh, the teaching is hard to understand. Jesus has said over and over in this text, which we're not going to open up because it's hard to understand, um, that you, you need to eat my body and drink my blood. He says this several times. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If you eat me, you will live. And I believe very strongly that's, that's an intense way of saying you must believe in me completely. You must partake in me and trust me alone. Uh, I am the sacrifice. But this teaching is hard to understand, and, and we have to acknowledge it's perplexing. It's confusing at times. People just say, well, that's perplexing, that's hard to understand. I will give up. I'll quit. Uh, another way of looking at this same issue is we want to make, we want God to make the world right. This is perplexing. In other words, if God is real, why doesn't he fix things? And remember, early in this context, we saw that up at verse 15. It's a little tiny verse. It's 6.15. This is right after Jesus performed this fantastic miracle of miraculously feeding. And we have the count as 5,000 men uh, one, I think it's Matthew, makes that really clear, besides women and children. So I'm not just being um, exaggerating here or being hyperbolic. Uh, there, was, there were like 15, 20,000 people there, and Jesus literally fed them with a tiny lunch for a boy. It's mind-boggling. They see, wow, this guy has amazing power. This is just what we're looking for. Help us now fix our problem. We're oppressed by Rome, and we hate the Romans, and they hate us, and they have unbelievable power over us. They can, they can kill us at will, and so relieve us from this. And see, verse 15 is where I'm thinking about perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is a normal reaction. When we come to God and we learn about Jesus, we say, okay, the Bible says he's really good and really strong and all-powerful. Why doesn't he fix this problem? Why doesn't he fix my problem? And this is a reason to leave. Another way to put it is this. There, there is too much chaos and too much pain in this world. If, if Jesus really is who he said he was, why doesn't he fix this world? We live in a chaotic, horrible world filled with pain. And, and maybe your own life is like that too. It's chaotic. It's why does this happen? And this is painful, Lord. Uh, please 
Father. I need your help. We plead with him. We pray and pray. Charlotte and I actually had an experience with this many, many years ago. We had some dear friends in the church, and they were praying for several years for a child. And they, she finally got pregnant. It was so wonderful. And then they went and, and they had a baby, but the baby had some serious illness. I don't know what it was. And it, it only lived, it lived five years, but it was extremely disabled through that time. Of course, they truly loved this child and, and had a, a warm, good relationship with this child. But, but our, our group of folks who had been praying for them, we were just crying out to God, why does this happen, Lord? Is this, why is this so hard and harsh? Why don't you fix it? Why, Rome is still here. There is too much chaos and pain. I'll leave. I'll leave Jesus. It's too hard. I don't understand. And now how about this one? This is right out of the uh, context too. There is treachery and betrayal within the church. Jesus closes the text with that. He says, I've chosen 12 of you, but one of you is a devil. Right within the church, Judas will commit treachery. He'll, he'll betray Jesus, the Lord. And you cannot find a church on this earth that has not faced some serious problems. It, it happens practically everywhere, unless the church is like two months old. You know, maybe they haven't had a crisis yet. But the truth is, the reality is, we live in a really broken world, and right in the midst, God has, he's totally sovereign over all of this. He can do whatever he pleases. And Jesus chose Judas, knowing exactly what was going to happen. Of course, we know that the betrayal was absolutely necessary in God's plan uh, to all in the plan to bring Jesus to the cross so he could die for us, producing much good out of this evil act. But the fact is, that's the way it is. And this can be so hurtful and so harming. And people say, well, if that's the way it is, I'm just going to walk away. I want to leave. And see, Satan, this prowling lion, uses all of these types of of influences and tools to discourage you from following after the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch out. Beware. Uh, I, I even have a couple more here. Please, don't leave until we try to work on a little bit more positive stuff, too. How about this? Jesus just becomes familiar, and he ceases to impress us. Sometimes I wonder, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm glad I don't watch any of us while we worship but I, I get to see Christians worshiping sometimes. Uh, and like, for example, I was in a group where the group of people were singing the old hymn, uh, How Great Thou Art. Oh, Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder. And I, I kind of glanced I, I, around. It wasn't here. And, you know, honestly, the typical expression was. And a, a few people were moving their mouth. You know, honestly, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. <laughs> it's pitiful, isn't it? It's like, okay, where's your heart? 
Are you, are you connecting mind, heart, soul, body, mouth? Uh, have you noticed that in our Psalms, we've had these uh, strong suggestions, like Psalm 96, our today's song. Oh, sing to the Lord. Now, who are you singing to? You know, are singing to the self-existing Yahweh who created the entire universe and called you to himself and gave you his son so you can have eternal life and pay for your sins. You know, we shouldn't be bawling constantly and, and singing, you know. We should drown out all, all the noise. So, and this is not a suggestion, by the way. I said that by cynicism. This is a command. Sing to the Lord a new song. Well, that was a new song. I didn't like it. Well, we're sorry, okay? <laughs> we're trying to worship God here. Can you join us? You know? Sing to the Lord all the earth. This is not even for one particular ethnicity or one cultural style. The entire earth is called rightly to worship God. Yet we get familiar with Jesus and he ceases to impress us. No shame on us. This is a trick of Satan. It's, it's boring. I don't, I don't need to be a part of church. I don't need to read the word anymore. I read the Bible. You ever heard that? You know you're really into somebody who doesn't have any idea what they're talking about when they say, oh yeah, I read the Bible. And, uh, you feed on the word of God. It's, it's got to be a present tense verb. You abide in the word. You live in it. That's what we're called to do. It's satisfying and wonderful. And I think the brothers, I'm pulling out the brothers, familiarity, the family of Jesus, and they didn't believe. I mean, they, they saw the stuff he was doing, these great works he had done, and they basically say, why don't you go do that somewhere else? You know, we're kind of tired of it, Lord. Go away and show yourself to the world. You think you're so great? Yeah, it's, it's sad. Uh, beware of this trick of Satan. And then I think probably the most important thing here in this context is this. That is presenting Jesus as the way is offensive. People leave Jesus because the word is so specific. Presenting him as the bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats me has eternal life. And the absolute strong implication of that, and it's scriptural too. It's, it, 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 interestingly, it's not even laid out that much in this context, but the implication of it is if you don't eat him, you don't have life. You're lost. You're like the fathers who ate the manna in the wilderness. You will die. He is the means of life. He is the only means of life. Notice, for example, uh, what he says in 7-7. Seven, seven. Number that makes me more comfortable than 666, right? <laughs> um, the world cannot hate you. He's talking to his brothers. You know, they've decided, this, this is what the brothers decided. If I don't side with Jesus, I'll be much more popular. 
like the whole world will like me if I do not side with Jesus. This is still true today. You know, you and I have the <laughs> unbelievable freedom to read this, right, and feel comfortable about it. But, you know, let's plug this into Syria right now. And this is who the world hates Christians there. The system is killing our brothers and sisters there. And it's no light thing to identify as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in Iraq, Syria, Iran. I actually had the great privilege, uh, shortly after 9-11, I think it was like two years after 9-11, I had a, a Muslim come to me for counseling several times in my office, and he said, I, I'm, I'm telling you the truth, he said, I, I'm embarrassed about my faith, I think it's disastrous what has happened, and I want to know about Jesus, and Jesus had been giving him signs, he had these dreams about Jesus, and it sounds a little bit weird, but like one time he got in his car and looked up, and he saw this cross on the windshield. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to argue with you, you know. I know this happens. God does give dreams and visions, and it's happening a lot in the Muslim world. And uh, so after a few counseling sessions, he, he fully received Jesus Christ. I completely believe he did. And then I had the privilege of baptizing him right here on Easter Sunday several years ago. It was so sweet. And then he was coming... Uh, and then, then he started reading a lot of newspapers and discovered that he was from Iran. He discovered that people, even in the United States, who confessed publicly faith in Jesus Christ were being uh, ha harassed and in some cases murdered. And he, and he also made frequent trips back to Iran. Right? So he told me, you know, Pastor, I, I love Jesus, I love the church, but I'm afraid to come. I'm afraid to be there. And I've kind of lost touch with him since that time. But this is exactly the kind of context. The world hates me. Look at 7-7. Seven, seven. But it hates me because the bottom line for them personally, this, this is under a whole, whole piles of excuses, okay? One of the bottom lines for humanity is because Jesus testifies about it that its works are evil. Now you might say, what? He didn't say that in chapter 6 at all. <laughs> okay, but let's look at chapter 3, 19 real quick. Here is this conversation, this long extended conversation with, with Nicodemus. Jewish leader, the religious guy, and, and he says this in uh, 3.19, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Same exact vocabulary. Jesus comes and says, I'm here to save you. I'm here to give my body and blood to save you. I can give you life. Without me, you're dead. Without me, you're hopeless. Without me, you're stuck in your sin. And Nicodemus, you need to be born again. <laughs> it's so bad, you need to start over. You need rebirth, Nicodemus. And the same is true in chapter 6, as he said over and over again, when I am the bread of life, the other side of it is, if you don't have me, you don't have life. You do not have 
this life that I came to bring. And this is offensive. And more and more, we are offending people by standing for the truth that Jesus is the Savior. He is the Savior for all the world. That's what it means. So it's whoever believes in me will be saved. It's for anyone and everyone. All are sinners. We're all hopeless without him. But you must admit you're a sinner. You must turn from your sin and repent and come and believe and follow him. Uh, that's what belief is. It's not a casual say, yeah, 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 I believe that. Or yeah, I believe in Jesus. It's I'm all in. I'm eating and drinking, partaking completely in Jesus. I abide in him. Remember, those, those are the present tense verbs that are so important. Whoever feeds, verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh, that's present tense, it's, and it's a participle, meaning it's, it describes who the person is. The person who is the person who feeds on me, present tense, ongoing action, and the person who is the one who drinks me, present tense, ongoing action, that's the one who has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Same in verse 56, the present tense. Whoever is the, the what describes you as an individual? I'm a, I, I feed on Jesus. Uh, he's the warp and woof of my life. The weaving of my whole, I'm all about him. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides, present tense, is living in me. So, what I'm saying is, that teaching is inherently offensive because it says to all the other gods, all the other gods, your gods are empty and nothing. They will never save you. They will never help you. You can't be saved that way. All the other gods say, you are just a little bit broken. Just a little bit broken. We can fix it in five easy, easy steps. You can be fixed. You have a spark of divinity in you. We can fan it into a flame you're inherently good and just work a little harder you know, do these five things do these 11 things do these 13 lists or whatever do 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 christianity says done done by jesus christ finished he accomplished the work and that's we don't say it with arrogance we say it with passion and with pity Verse 5 of 96, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. They're worthless. They're, they're condemning you when you're hooked on that idol. The best thing I can tell you is you're eating rat poison. Yeah, it tastes good. Maybe it does. <laughs> tastes good to a rat. <laughs> but it's, it's rat poison. It's a worthless idol. Turn to the only true God who made the heavens. <laughs> Hallelujah. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. So those are some reasons to leave. And as I said earlier, you, you and I will struggle with some of those or several of those off and on. And the, the lion of Satan will love to use these to get you away from Jesus. 
Let's look then at some more positive things. Reasons to keep believing. Reasons to keep believing. Reasons to believe. And I, as I said, I want to focus in on this glorious word of Peter himself. Verse 68 of chapter 6. 668. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? There's no other place. Why? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. The text tells us very clearly that that is a work of God. God has worked in the heart of Peter, drawn him, verse 44, drawn him to Jesus, that God the Father has done that, and uh, we know from many scriptures that th this faith, this believing, is a gift of God, not by works. It's not something Peter can brag about. But he says, I believe this. I have, I have believed and have come to know. Reasons to believe. No place else to go. No. Honestly, examine the other places. They're barren and empty. They do not bring peace. They don't answer the basic question of how am I going to deal with my sin. The only way to deal with the sin is to have the glorious, infinitely valuable Jesus Christ as your Savior. He died for your sins. You could not possibly, and I'm not insulting you, but this is the reality, you and I could not possibly do enough good things to remove sin from us we can't the wages of sin is death it's a debt you can't pay no matter how long you pay on it you'll never pay it all and so there's no place else to go i mean that sounds sort of minimalistic it is you know, in other words when it kind of comes down to it peter's saying well you're it you know <laughs> that's i would be foolish to try something else lord jesus uh, yeah, I may not understand all of it, and your teaching, yes, is difficult and challenging, but where else am I going to go? Secondly, Jesus has the words of eternal life. You know, he's said this over and over in this text. He's giving us eternal life. He's the means for us to experience eternity. Uh, we sang that soon we'll leave and we'll be home. We'll be finally home. Uh, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. We'll get to that in chapter 14. There are many dwelling places. I, I go to prepare a place for you. And we can be finally home. I don't know about you, but I love getting home at the end of the day. I don't know why. Uh, it's always wonderful to pull into the driveway, go into your house, kick off your shoes and relax. You're home. It's so wonderful. And you could imagine that, you know, for eternity, we've struggled a lot here. There's been a lot of confusing, a lot of confusion, a lot of perplexity, a lot of things we didn't understand, uh, a lot of things we wish had gone differently throughout the day. But at the end of the day, we'll be home. We have eternal life. And, and that's a beautiful, wonderful promise. Why should I keep believing? Because Jesus has the words of eternal life. And I'll just pick on this next phrase. I, I love it, it, where he says in verse 69, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Come to know. This is a process. 
why do we suggest you come to church you know, six or eight times a month? It's because it's a long learning curve. You don't get this overnight. There's a lot of interesting things and difficult things in the Word of God. And at first blush, you might say, wow, that was just really confusing. Uh, I don't even want to know about that. You know? But if you, you commit yourself to study, you will know. God will reveal it to you. Um, in Titus, I wanted to read, oh, I, I printed it out here for myself. Yeah, Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Titus 1, 1 through 3. Listen to what Paul says here. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So he's saying the whole reason I'm serving God and I'm sent out by Jesus Christ is that God the Father has chosen some, they're the elect, and I'm here to be an agent of their faith, to encourage them in their faith, to help them discover their faith, and to strengthen them in their faith. So for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. I'm a servant of God, he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ, so that the elect will know the truth. We have a wonderful balance. Peter's big expression here is faith. Lord Jesus, we believe and we're coming to know that you're the Holy One of Israel. We don't believe in blind, uninformed faith. You know, I'm not preaching a leap of faith into the darkness of unknown. God has revealed himself. He doesn't hide. It's truth that is available. It's written for human beings for, to understand. And Paul says, uh, he's committed to this as a servant for their knowledge of the truth. And then he says, which accords with godliness, meaning it produces not just brainy theologians, but it produces godly people. That means people who love God. I like uh, Michael's song, I love you. I, uh, that comes from faith and knowledge and commitment. I love you, Lord. I want to live for you. I, I want to be godly. I want to be religious. Okay? That's what this word means. I want to be committed. I want to be obsessed with God. I think this is a healthy obsession with knowing and loving God. What is the, the big commandment? Love the Lord your God. How great thou art. How great thou art. <laughs> We've got to cut down on the whiskey before the whiskey. You know. <laughs> Sorry. That was a silly joke. We, we don't serve any whiskey in the fellowship room. We serve coffee. What's wrong with our coffee? <laughs> um, it's, it's passion. I mean, the heart of all reality is a person. God himself is a palpable, loving reality. It's not immaterial. It is immaterial, but I mean, it's not, it's not impersonal. He is person. Glorious person of love. And our response is personal. So we have come to know. Oh, so it leads to godliness 
I wanted to read, this is for, uh, Titus 1, 1 through 3, uh, real quick again. Godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. It's all about timing, and I'm running out of time, but the, this sermon ends with saying, trust God's timing. Okay? Who never lies, promised before ages began, at that, and at the proper time, manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So why should you listen to preaching? The preaching of the word of God. Why should you attend preaching sessions? Well, here it says that God, at the proper time, manifests all of this glorious truth, his promises to us, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, Titus. So Peter came to know it, came to know the word. Jesus is the Holy One of God. He is the one who is the Savior. And his timing is perfect. That's why I said that's where I want to end. Uh, and we're going to open it up next week. But in chapter 7, the answer to Jesus is, don't rush me. I have a perfect time for everything. My time has not yet come. See, it's in verse 6 and also in verse 8. My time has not yet come. It all comes back to this, the sovereignty of God. God's timing is perfect. There's no rush in God. We have to trust his timing. Even with tragedy and chaos and pain that we go through, we have to trust his timing. How to keep believing then, this is what I'm saying. Stay in the word. What challenges our faith is when the word gets challenged. When people start to doubt the word. They say, oh, it's too hard. It's confusing. It's perplexing. Or I just don't like it. Or you'll often hear, well, that's not my God. You, you, you study the Bible, it says something, and well, that's not my God. Well, you're like, excuse me, who do you think you are? <laughs> you, you, you're the God maker? <laughs> Can God define himself? Yes. He has spoken clearly. We trust how he has revealed himself. Stay in the word. Stay faithful in the church. And finally, depend solely on God. The true Christian's prayer is, help me, help me, help my unbelief, help, help defend me, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. The prayer we pray oftentimes in here, that's where we need to be dependent. It's, it's okay to be dependent. We are dependent. And when we think we aren't, that's when we're in super trouble. Plead with him for his help. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you've taken a few minutes to just think about this amazing flow uh, in this John 6 to 7 and how these folks heard Jesus. They saw his miracles, and yet they went away by and large. And we're so thankful for Peter, who represents faith, trusting in you, not claiming to understand it all, but saying, I, I have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God, the one set apart by God to be the Savior, our Messiah, our help, our King. Lord, fill us with that confidence as we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.